Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friend, welcome to this week's Upfront Moment. This week I am joined by Sanya Rajpal, who's the founder and the CEO of Adagio VR. Sanya is an activist and international development expert and serial entrepreneur dedicated to transforming systems that unleash individual potential. She built her first company while at law school with the goal to empower people to transform their own lives and solve problems in their communities and the world. Before co-founding her latest venture, Adagio VR, the mental health and high-performance startup using cutting-edge techniques that drive preventative mental well-being and behaviour change all through virtual reality. We talked about so many things in this conversation. We talked about leadership, we talked about belonging, we talked about women daring to ask, daring to invite yourself, and what it's like to speak at the UN. I hope you love this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Good morning, Sanya. Welcome to Upfront Moment. How are you today? Doing really well. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. So you are on a mission to transform mental health. And so talk to me about your work, your mission and your business that you're building, Adagio VR? Sure. So Adagio VR is a solution, we hope, for the insidious nature that emotional burden, past traumas and adverse life experiences play in our lives and how we experience, how we perceive and how we behave on a daily basis. I think for me, mental health, is one word for it. Uh, well-being is another word. High performance is another word. Leadership is another word. It keeps changing depending on who we're speaking to. At the end of the day, my mission is to actually provide relief rather than just relaxation or management in a way that allows people to be free of what's happened to them in the past and how they currently experience and engage with the world and how they feel about themselves and others in the process to a point where they can have choice and freedom and a bit more lightness so that they can kind of tackle complexity with a bit more joy and a little bit more kind of decisive action. That sounds really nice, like in terms of just abstract ideas, but essentially we are really focused on helping people untangle the cognitive wires that create common mental health disorders from stress, anxiety, burnout, sort of addictions like smoking, alcohol, uh, sleep issues, interpersonal relationship problems. And I truly believe that if you free up people's minds of their pain, they are much more likely to choose better for themselves and for others. And that's what I hope we could do. Different ways we're doing it, but that's the... I mean, I feel a bit speechless. It's like, if you can do that, I feel like you have a magic wand. What is this thing? What is this product that can do this? Tell me more. So 
myself and my co-founder have been on a quite a long journey. So mm-hmm. my founder is actually also my father. He's a psychiatrist. Love this. Want to know more about this? <laughs> so he's he's a psychiatrist and he was trained in a couple of very powerful clinical therapies that allow you to very quickly transform and free someone of quite severe PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called EMDR, which is the clinical therapy that, that he was trained in and, and integrated in his clinical practice and found massive value for his patients. Unfortunately, the waiting list to see him is unreasonably long and goes into a number of years mm-hmm. past the point of absolute crisis. Um, and that's really the reality, right, of mental health services mm-hmm. at the moment. The politest way to put it is it's too little too late in the face mm-hmm. of what people face on a day-to-day basis. And his intention was, surely it's not just the people who somehow luckily managed to reach me beyond the barriers of time, information and money. And people are suffering. And the, like his intention was, how can I replace myself? But mm-hmm. what he went on quite a few years long journey was to figure out how to take these very targeted, very effective therapies and then integrate additional techniques and use technology and use kind of a larger frame than just what medicine offers to create something that was not just in the context of trauma, not just in the context of the clinic and not just in the context of illness and create something where that was focused on early intervention and lifestyle focused well-being and like behavioral change uh, rather than just crisis management or crisis Uh action that happens within like the medical field the very cool aspect of these therapies is that you don't also have to be able to talk about or even label your emotions that are causing you to suffer so we take somebody from not knowing what their problem is to being able to fundamentally transform it within about a month of regular use and like that's really cool like it makes me Mm, really amazing yeah you know, like it's, there's a lot of talk about mental health, which is great. I think even talking about it helps with stigmas and all these things, but it's quite hard to have talk without fundamentally valuable and like imminently life-changing solutions. Mm-hmm. And like nothing in life is easy. It takes a lot in the process and uh, it's not a magic wand at all. But it is a way to very quickly offload the emotional baggage of your past experiences and of maybe certain behavioral patterns that are coping mechanisms uh, or learned behavior that or self-limiting beliefs that have been that people internalize based on, you know, external stimulus in a way that does have really meaningful impact on people's lives. And I've seen people go from like close to suicidal and hopeless to saying for the first time, I think I might be worth something and be able to do something in my life. Or, you know, like a very debilitating issue in their life, which is taking up a lot of space in their head and being able to free them in some way so that they can think beyond it quite quickly. And that feels like, for me, that gives me so much energy for how we're trying to build the business, which is a bit different to normal. Mm, amazing and it's a virtual reality product yeah Yeah. so we use virtual reality and we're building machine learning and there's lots of uh, technology innovation that we're developing all bootstrapped which is hilarious Um, (laughs) that's a whole other podcast that's a whole other conversation but all of that in service of like the potential if we can do this properly 
is worth the hard work that we're trying to put in now. So, yeah. Yes. I mean, what a, what a mission to be on. It sounds, you know, I'm so fascinated and have a million questions about the product and how it works. And I'm sure you've got so many stories to tell about the people you've helped through the product. But I'm curious to know more about your leadership. You know, you are a, you're a leader in your organisation. You've built other companies. You're, you know, you hold leadership roles in various spaces like what's your yeah where are you at with your leadership at the moment what feels what feels good and healthy and what feels gnarly and hard I think the answer to both of those is the same that's that's the reality of leadership Mm. I'm in by no means an expert officially but just from a little bit of experience what I can say is there's a really big gap right in everyone's life between where they are and the reality of the constraints that we seemingly live in and where we want to be and the values and ideals and the things that we think are important I mean I think everyone whether or not they're like trying to live that reality believe that the world should be different that people should have opportunities that there is worth in people's lives and dignity in people's lives right like there's a that's the ideals that somewhere most of us in some way are trying to reach and there's a massive gap between those two things Hmm. and I think that manifests in different ways like when you're running a business you have constraints of time and resources and funding and external stakeholders and clients you know that those are your constraints between these two different points of where you are and what you think is important and where you need to be And I think the challenge of leadership, and I think it is an action word, not a noun, but something you have to do, uh, which means that we could very easily not be doing it when we're not paying attention, is to fill that gap and build the road between these two things based on some certain values and ideals that get us to that point and where we want to be. And very often on that road, which is normal, you get told that the type of road you're trying to build that might be more inclusive or might be more innovative or might be based on new technology or might be based on new approaches, Mm -hmm. whatever, is too long or not worth it or a bit of... Not perfect, not good enough. Definitely not perfect, definitely not good enough, Mm -hmm. definitely not what the normal is. And that road is often not is is a vision for what that road can be is not something that other people have as the leader you're the one who has to hold that vision in your mind's eye and work every day to reach there and from every direction you get told that that's not the right way because mm. it probably isn't till now if the road existed none mm. of us would need to be here it wouldn't be hard if it wasn't necessary leadership is about creating something new you are generating something completely new, a new vision, a new project, a new opportunity, a new path, a new approach, new technology, whatever. And at the end of the day, your responsibility as a leader is to not compromise on that vision. Uh Yes, you have to be able to, in the moment, live in the constraints that you're in. But then the challenge is to accept that you will do whatever it takes to reach that vision because you truly believe it's important. And then the tension is, when is that external feedback about it pivoting and iterating and improving 
versus when is it just not aligned with your vision and you just uh-huh. throw that feedback out and that's like a really interesting challenge I think as a leader and quite like the mentally strenuous one but I also think that a lot of times we buy into narratives that are not good enough compared to our visions and our potential but like the objective reality is the world is on fire and we're running ourselves and the people in on this planet to the ground based on the type of leadership that we've had till now like that's the objective reality so the objective reality that we're sold that there are constraints that aren't related to that sometimes are not particularly helpful if you're trying to change these like really fundamental problems in the world yeah and we know that part of the way to tackle this crisis that our planet is in is through new kinds of leadership different forms of leadership and a big part of that is having more women in formal and informal leadership roles and I wonder like what advice would you give to the women listening who deep down know that they have that potential I mean I believe that everybody has that potential or they might have an opportunity to lead or an opportunity for a promotion an opportunity to progress and they are resisting potentially because of the fear of what you just described it's really 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 fucking hard and very difficult and very lonely Mm. and brilliant and amazing and exhilarating and all those things at the same time so what would your advice be to those women listening your voice is important Mm. and necessary And the institutions that tell you that you don't match and don't belong and aren't right and aren't important are broken. Mm -hmm. And you're not there to be validated by those institutions. They need you. Otherwise, they won't survive. Like the institutions and organizations and the narratives that tell us we're not good enough or that we don't belong or we don't match what's the real version of what leaders look like they don't work if they did we wouldn't be in the mess we're in like they don't work it's like a really bad source of information to live your life off to to value yourself on it doesn't work yeah I mean that's a really and I don't mean that in a flippant way like those yeah no of how those narratives and institutions make you feel is very real but I would really urge women and people whose voices have very traditionally been told are not relevant to the conversation Mm -hmm. to understand that their voice and their ideas and the problems that they see and can solve because they've been doing it under Mm -hmm. the radar when no one was paying attention when no one was paying them or giving them any reward for Mm -hmm. it or glory or you know you are so necessary and important and needed because without you look at the mess we're in genuinely oh you just give me goosebumps (laughs) It's so true. It's like you are, you are necessary. It's like this is, it's not up for debate. I think the challenge is that, like, our journey is not about becoming good enough. It's about so blindly believing in our potential and being willing to do whatever it takes to become that leader who's like kind of 
able to clean out all of those other voices in their heads uh-huh. can you know create that world that we all want to live in mm. yes and you've spent a lot of your work has you know you've worked all over the world in very different countries and cultures like I'd love to hear from you what you've witnessed in other parts of the world and other cultures and nations around kind of gender dynamics women and leadership that you think we should be paying more attention to and we can learn from mm-hmm. you know when um you asked me this question the first thing that comes to my mind is some time I spent in Panama with some indigenous tribes and mm-hmm. there, uh, the NGO was there with uh, were kind of doing some really cool holistic development work but some of that work was focused on cooperative banks and creating women-led and women-centric communities mm-hmm. within those uh, native communities, within those Latino communities in the Panamanian jungle and creating co- like savings accounts and within this co- cooperative bank and then doing microfinance. So the women would save, they would then give they would build and this was like a really cool like community development process that was going on and when we spoke to them about that and how it had been the experience of developing it they said oh you know we can't give our money to the men like they'll just spend it on alcohol and cigarettes and like do nothing good with it and the best they'll do is go study to get a certificate so they can go to the city and get a job and what we want to do and nourish and grow our community here. Mm-hmm. So like, leave them, like, we will do this for ourselves. We will do this for our community and for our children. And it's proven that like in many circumstances and many communities and many like developing contexts that when you invest in women, the kind of positive external outcome is has a massive multiplier, right? And I think about the confidence with which they said that that like we we have to take responsibility for our community and grow it right here rather than running away to the city I also think about this woman who came for the legal aid clinic we built there she must have walked like three hours in the sun Mm. she was heavily pregnant and she spoke about how she she was from an indigenous community that was not treated very well by the local government hospitals and they were so unkind to her about her Uh, pregnancies and all of this and she'd come to ask for help around some land dispute that had been created that was putting her family and her children at at risk and all I could think was like in the burning hot sun this woman walked so long to come and Mm -hmm. fight for her family and I think like I don't think they care about imposter syndrome like they're Mm -hmm. trying to survive and build where they are preserve their culture build their community and create a better life for their children on the other hand I think about my mother who said you used to like say to me the same thing she's like Sanya growing up in India we didn't have time to think of whether or not we were good enough we got an education and we tried to create a life for ourselves and why are you thinking you don't belong or you're not good enough that's not how I raised you it doesn't matter study work you can do this and then I think about on the other hand, like now she's in her, you know, 50s and a lifetime of fighting and surviving and building is catching up with her. And 
she got really ill like five years ago and is still developing her trying to manage her health and I think about how in the last five years she's really reflected on how there are gender dynamics and how she was Uh brought up and she didn't really think about them in the time and how she's carrying a lot of pain that she didn't notice because she had to build and survive and grow and be an immigrant coming come to the UK and build a whole life for herself her husband and her little child me and then I think about a lot of time that I spend just like questioning whether or not I have worth like in the midst of this right Mm -hmm. and whether or not I deserve to exist in spaces and then I think about these different experiences I've had and I think like my experience is valid and I can do something about it because look this is these are the different things that are happening in this world so I think if I kind of step back from what I've just said I would say that women are extraordinary wherever you go they can go the extra mile because they've had to and because they can wherever you go should they have to do that every time should they have to sacrifice their health and their like peace and calm no but they have to like that that's what happens everywhere does that mean we have to do the same I hope not I hope we have better problems than what our mothers had to suffer through and I hope it means that we get to be kinder to ourselves in the process of building the road for the next generation so yeah I don't know if that's like productively helpful but that's my reflection no it's really really powerful to hear your reflection and I think it makes me think of this as you say it's like women are extraordinary but we're we shouldn't need to be you know the women you've talked about shouldn't need to be extraordinary it's like this idea of being resilient being praised and celebrated it's like what if we built a world where constant resilience wasn't so necessary yeah yeah maybe that's our generations onwards yeah yeah I think like if we spend too long worrying about whether or not we deserve to do it or can do it it does the the responsibility of doing it a a bit of a disservice Mm -hmm. that's like that's how I try and get myself up when I'm get kicked down yeah yeah and and I don't mean to invalidate anybody's like or, or even my experience of having those crises of confidence but mm-hmm. we're, we're genuinely standing on our mother's backs who've like the amount of if I think about what two generations ago or one generation ago mm-hmm. the women and even my family what they were dealing with mm-hmm. and where I am now like we've come so far yeah. and we can't stumble on not believing in ourselves yeah I think you're right it's it's not to invalidate but it's to invite perspective because, you know, I think it's it's too easy to fall into this trap of, you know, the keyboard warriors proclaiming that they're not safe. So you are safe. You're in a house that's warm and safe. And, you know, the women that you met at your legal aid centre isn't safe. And I think... We could probably talk for a long time about why that is and where that's come from. You know, I think social media plays a big role in that. But I think perspective is always a really healthy, a healthy thing. And it can kind of snap you out of those 
moments of doubt, not to take away that that doubt is is real and valid, but to help you shift it quickly, I think. And so I I also want to ask you about public speaking. That's a big part of the work that we do up front. And I know that you have spoken at the UN, which sounds like what an incredible opportunity. And I'd love to know, like, what does your self-talk and your preparation look like before the day where you have to speak at the UN? And how was that experience for you? I like how you think I knew before it happened. <laughs> Obviously, something just gave you a mic. You're like, ah! No, actually, I think that I was an activist, right? When I was a teenager and then slowly transitioned to entrepreneurship and in the journey somehow ended up being quite involved in the youth engagement work happening with different UN agencies, yeah. getting, as a result, the opportunity to, like, speak in various different uh, situations. What I'll say first is that it wasn't something initially I was invited to do. It was something I asked to do. It was a lot of emailing people after the deadline of events that I hadn't even known about and going, I'm really passionate about this. This is why, and this is what I've done. Can I come? And then being there and saying, I'd love an opportunity to contribute however I can. What can I give? What can I, how can I help? You know, and somehow building trust, building, you know, and then building opportunities for myself. This is not an environment that I, have any reason to belong in like there isn't like a family connection there isn't like a like an old sibling who's done it or like friends who've been through that like nothing I had no connection no no road in and I somehow just dared to ask enough that someone said yes basically uh and that's kind of what I keep doing now and it's cool now I get invited to things just fun uh that's been the case for a while now and that's one thing second thing is I'm not a natural public speaker I am still like shy by nature uh, an introvert and I don't always love how I sound when I'm talking like you know like I have a lot of that self like yeah mm-hmm. in my head so that's like my internal reality mm-hmm. but I also know that the only way I can change anything in my life or in the world or anything I care about is if I change and develop myself so I worked mm-hmm. really hard on developing the skill of being able to speak mm-hmm. the way that people listen. And this is still a journey I'm on, like I'm not anywhere near mm-hmm. So I really think about it as the term of like, I have the opportunity to communicate something that is important, that is of some value. Then that's what I said earlier, right? I, to mm-hmm. tell people that their voice is of value. And I'm very lucky I was given that message very consistently throughout my life so I didn't always believe it but I I, I try and live by that that truth and I kind of start from that point with myself but I have something of value to say then if I go into like the actual logistics of how I operate because I'm a little bit like like nervous or anxious I find it difficult to write an entire speech and just memorize it and say it the more I prepare actually the more nervous I get (laughs) so what I try and do is I try and learn as much as I can and understand as much as I can about the problem and the ideas that I want to communicate, the different things that I think are relevant or important and and, and particularly in how they relate to the audience. So I will try and absorb as much of what's 
in the ecosystem of that those ideas. I will try and understand the perspective of the audience, why they're there, what do they care about, how do they communicate. If it's a group of investors or a group of people who run by financial metrics, it's a very uh-huh. different even within the UN context, compared to like policymakers, compared to people who come from the countries, like, you know, it's like a completely different, different audiences. So I think about what is the language they need to hear these ideas through. And then what I try and do is like structure out the key points that I Mm want to make and like the logic flow from one to the next, like how do these ideas link to each other to reach a final conclusion? And then I just have that as the preparation. And then I'm not so stuck to a certain script that if I go off, I get others. But I'm also not like, you know, completely lost in a chaos of ideas. So I I try and have like a skeleton, basically. And then I try as much as possible to be present at the moment. I think one thing that has really inspired me in terms of how I speak and like wanting to do it is uh, like this like my mentor is uh in life is someone I really respect has achieved a lot in life and yeah if I kind of give his list of achievements globally I would like go on forever uh but from like philosophy to dialogue with leaders to governments to or building organizations etc and he was asked by a young child what do you do what's your job and I was like oh okay this is interesting someone who has like a completely Uh wide portfolio of things they've done their whole life and his answer not wasn't I'm a doctor I'm a lawyer and I'm a you know whatever I'm a businessman is I'm I'm a leader it was I encourage people Mm. that was his job description for himself and through that he was able to achieve achieve so much so I try as well from how I talk is how all this what I'm going to say maybe encourage someone maybe someone who's a little feeling a little lost in this room a little, little bit less alone and I try and sort of combine all those things and try and stay present in the moment and not get too wrapped up in my what's going on in my mind uh, so I think that's like probably the both the like ideal idealistic but also the practical side of how I do those things yeah and it is really nice to hear the internal reality and the external reality at the same time I mean, I think you're an extraordinary storyteller and have an incredible voice. I could feel like I could talk to you for hours. But I also know that no matter how many times people say that to you, you still have, you know, you still have your narrative internally. Like what what, what did it feel like to stand up in the UN? How did it go? Okay, so the very first time I did it and every time since, there's one thing I heard which kind of echoes in my mind, which is, Speaking at the UN is like speaking to the whole world. Mm. Something, you know. And I, yeah, it's such an honor to be able to speak in a way that hopefully someone will listen. And yeah, more than anything, like to see me like being able to do that, like I would have, that would have inspired me when I was younger. Like, absolutely. It makes me like little Sanya feel proud, you know, that this was my, these were my dreams. Yeah. So it's like, yes, did something, you know, ticked off something on my list now onto the next. Um, but I also think it's really important to further narratives. Like, I think within the international context, when you're when you're in that such a high level environment, 
when you're there on behalf of governments or institutions, you have to be really careful. Like you have to uh, sidestep and play your role and speak on behalf of your governments and the politics and the history and blah, blah, blah. The cool thing is when there is a young person representing youth and representing innovation in different ways, even as a founder, I'm going to speak again in October and I can be more blunt and more direct. Mm. I beat around the bush and say, oh, well, you know, like I don't have to be umming and eyeing. I can say very directly to be able to invest in women founders and emerging markets, you need to have XYZ on board. Like you're doing them a disservice and you will end up in a worse situation than where you started. Like I can say that very directly because I'm not there. I'm not part of the game. I'm there as an an advocate for civil society, for young people, for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Like I like being able to do that. I don't have the time to waste on like nice words. Or like another thing I'm really involved in is nuclear disarmament stuff. And there again, speaking with other young activists and being there from that perspective from all over the world, you get a lot of energy because it fills your cup. Yeah, it fills your cup. Yeah, it really does. Like being around other people who really care about something and that that inspires me a lot. Mm, I love that. So the last question I'm going to ask, which we ask all our guess on Upfront Moment is when we achieve our mission of supporting a million women with their confidence and their self-belief and their leadership, how will the world be different from your vantage point? You probably want to help another 10 million, I'm sure. How will the world be different? I just certainly don't think we'll be in the situations we're in now. I think if even one person truly believes that they can be upfront, they have the courage mm-hmm. and the confidence to speak and to do based on what they think is important and lead change. Even mm-hmm. if one person does that, the world changes. So if one yeah. woman do that, I can't wait to live in that world. That's exciting. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes to that. And thank you so much for sharing your story I know there will be lots of listeners keen to follow you and you know learn more about your company so how can how can we help you on your mission well you can find me on all various platforms at Sanya I'm there if you want to reach out Adagio VR is uh, open for both organizations and individuals who wish to address common mental health disorders or drive their high performance and we're always happy to have a chat and how best we can help. And I think it's wonderful to have a community of people who align on various different aspects of leadership and women empowerment. So I'm excited to connect and see where this goes. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Very best of luck. We're all cheerleading you. Hi friend, a quick note from me to tell you all about our new charity bond. On the 6th of November, we are welcoming women, staff and volunteers from charities all over the world to take part in our six-week charity bond. You can enrol as many staff and volunteers as you wish for only a £1,000. We can't wait to support you. Go to weareupfront.com 
to find out more. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Upfront Moment. Before I say goodbye, I want to remind you to follow Upfront on Instagram and join the other 5,000 women all over the world who get our weekly newsletter. Go to weareupfront.com to find out more. Bye friends, I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront Moment.